Hey gang! Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is funded by Patreon. Join for early access to special bonus episodes and exclusive material, including the upcoming Scooby-Doo Book Club. Joining is the best way that you can be a part of shaping the material we produce, and we are super thankful to everyone who contributes. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Katie Maxwell, Jordan Ferguson, Pablo Corden, Matthew Bang, Blake Sawyer, Ashley Martinez, Dan Reed, Gabriel Pesek, Toj, Jade Core, Wynn Richport, Samuel Chesser, Bradford N. Smith, Page on Gaming, and Alicia Harper for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those to Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching Game of Chicken. You know, as a fan of many Jim Henson works, I will say that compared to this episode, this episode, in fact, has very few chickens. Muppet stuff? Chickens all through it. Here, barely one. You could say that about a lot of but, television. Yes, but this and episode... Movies. Yeah, but what we're saying is that I was promised chicken here today. Like, I don't expect it of every movie. I don't watch Ghostbusters and go, there weren't enough chickens in there. But I might watch Game of Chicken and think that. I understand that we're both thinking of that real Ghostbusters episode where that man thinks there are far too many chickens. Mm-hmm. And there's one where there's a wear chicken. Boy, so we're not hurting for chicken-based content there. But here... Where I, w I was all pumped up, like, before we started, I'm sitting here with my little chicken pennant flag. I want you to know, Billy, that you have activated the warning that this recording is too high over chickens. And I think that's a worthy cause. You've ruined our decibel levels again for chickens. I've ruined my decibel levels. I feel like yours are still going to shake out pretty well in the mix. At first glance for this episode, I was initially a little excited that we were going to explore the found footage genre. Because we, ha we have a man, a man named Chuck, taking his own video, going through some caverns, and then some horrors befall him. My at first glance was, oh goody, this episode deals with a native tribe. Scooby-Doo mm. has had such a great sensitive history at portraying native tribes. Especially ones with giant oh. tiki masks that take up the whole body. I'm sorry, for anyone who doesn't know, it's opposite day, and that's completely untrue. Now that's worthy of ruining the decibel levels over. <laughs> the treatment yes. of the native population in Scooby-Doo... Scooby-Doo needs to just leave them the fuck alone. Well, admittedly, it kinda does. There's no pretense... Well... They call them a lost tribe. They talk about them tribe. as if they're natives. It's from the year, like, 26 BCE. That's not going to be whitey. But when we see a member of the tribe, do you think that's just like a man 
who has decided to take up the vow. Like, that is just an appropriator who is now living in the hills. I mean, I wrote it down that he's crazy white, this yeah. native that they find, and that even, like, native people that lived underground without the sun would not have white man's facial features like that. Before we meet the last native man of this chicken-worshipping tribe, we do see them briefly, and it seems like they're going for, like, an Aztec flair. Yeah, oh, which especially is in- incorrect. Because there's coniferous trees in the background. Yeah. This is like New England that they're in. I would have globe hopped a bit here. I would have globe hopped. I think if we saw this as like a tribe in ancient England, then that would have made sense. Where are chickens from? Even if we specifically said, hey, this is New England and this is just a bunch of nutters living in a cave, I yeah. would have been like, all right, fine. Where are chickens from? Did you just ask? I, uh, I, thank you. I was worried that we'd just glance over that. But yeah, where are chickens from? Somewhere across the sea? I don't know. Like, uh, ancient cultures that weren't North America seem to have them. chickens are all over the place now. It's, yeah, that would be true. <laughs> I um, think, I, okay. Domesticated I'm, I'm not, food animals. I'm not trying to be a fucking idiot. What I meant was, like, how ancient could this culture be and still feasibly have chickens in this part of the world? Chickens were domesticated in Southeast Asia. Okay, that's 50, where chickens are from. 5,400 years ago. Possibly even further back, 12,000 years in China. Wow. So, uh, Whitey ain't got his hands on no chickens in North America when this tribe was worshipping a chicken. <laughs> Why he doesn't exist yet? So, let alone the domesticated chicken of North America. So we're starting off on factual errors. That's our at first glance, is that many aspects of this episode are going to be factually inaccurate. That's disappointing. Look, it's the white person as the last of this ancient tribe that really throws it to be the worst. So I really don't care about what facts about the domesticated <laughs> chicken they got wrong. When the native man is just a whitey. <laughs> How many times do I have to say that like it's an insult before people start realizing that it is? I mean, would it be worse if it were an actual native man living in these hills with, with the chicken mythology? I don't know. I don't know if there's a way out of this. Like, what, what are you proposing? That it would also be insulting to the native man? Like, of yeah, course, think... they made the whole tribe a fucking joke. So maybe just don't make it a tribe with that word. Yeah, just make it like an 80s cult. Yeah, Problem you know, solved. fucking call it a cult. Blame it on Reagan. Seriously. Here's a premise for the episode, Amelia. Fred's old friend, a daredevil named Chuck, gets in way over his head after he enters the caverns of an ancient civilization. And that's an inn that I can work with. Because I want to start right with the Fred factor today. Because this episode is going back to basics. It's sort of what I wanted from the first episode. It's something we know. Fred is a goddamn hero worshipper. This is something familiar. We've seen it like half a dozen times at this point. 
Back to basics, episode one. Are we talking about what a night for a night? He wasn't idolizing Mr. Wickles. No. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay, not, okay, maybe not basics, but the established lore of Scooby-Doo. I think if Mystery 101 felt jarring for the direction that it took, this episode is at least on familiar ground. The earliest bit of hero worship that I could identify is is Melbourne O'Reilly. Well, I mean, but that's what I'm saying. Like, in this modern era. This modern era? Melbourne O'Reilly. The fellow from Mystery Incorporated. The big, the big fellow. Rick Spartan. Rick Spartan, thank you. (laughs) The big, the the big big fella, and you should have seen the finger movement (laughs) he was making at the time. (laughs) What the that, that literally meant I can't remember the name. Can you please remind me what Rick Spartan's name is? Because I knew you knew it. He liked uh, he liked some baseball men or something like that. <laughs> but this this oh is a God. known trait of Fred Jones. Liking a baseball team is not out of the ordinary. None of this is. It is very ordinary. For Fred to have heroes. And Chuck, even though he is a friend, is very much a hero of Fred's, the way he treats him in this episode. This felt like Fred. Uh, I'm going to counter that it's not Fred at all. This is not an action man, Fred. He sucks and should have died many (laughs) times over. I'm going to just believe that he did die and never write another note for the Fred factor. That's how Be Cool has me feeling in episode two. Okay, I'm, g- I'm going to throw a few things out here. First of all, Fred's email address. Mysterymanfred at webnet dot whatever. Called out for having an extremely long email address on an obscure server. This feels like Dad Fred. This is what Dad Fred would do. This is my own father having an ExploreNet account. And that's the only note to take before he starts almost killing himself repeatedly in this cave. He does. He catapults himself into a stalactite. He walks across lava. He gets smashed with a log that swings out of nowhere. He gets smooshed between two huge metal blades. How did that not dissect him? Because... Right down the middle. He's then on top of a log that smashes him repeatedly into the rock ceiling. Fred Jones is dead. R.I.P. Absolutely. This is a consequence of Fred doing that hero worship, because this is how Chuck rolls. Chuck just bounces in without a plan. As we learn at the end of the episode, Fred does normally use plans. So he's he's not doing things the Fred way this episode. He's doing things the Chuck way. Yeah, Chuck says that he can figure anything out. And based on what we saw here, that is not true. They're both idiots. Yeah, Which I'm I mean, fine with. I love a dumb Fred, but this is, I love a dumb Fred that's also an action man. Where is the Fred from Mystery Incorporated that fought his father, like, nearly to the death? True, you're Where right. Where is the Fred from What's New that leaps off of the retracting roof of a baseball stadium to stop Daphne from plummeting to her death? You're, whereas this one, Fred tries to leap over a chasm and ends up stuck on a stalactite. Yes. Fred of the 60s, 70s, and 80s would have known about the existence of stalactites. And we definitely would have talked about it and the difference between stalagmites. But Amelia told me sometime in the 80s that that joke was dead. 
And yet you're still bringing him up now. I just think it's still funny. What's the- Explain where the joke is. It's that two it's different a- things have two different names. It's it, it was funny because stalagmites and stalactites were just coming up so often in Scooby-Doo. They're in a lot of caves. They're, they are in a lot of caves. <laughs> Honestly, I've been playing a lot of D&D this year. You know, big surprise, I'm a huge nerd. Um, this whole episode, I will say, felt like a very easy D&D one-shot. They're in a dungeon. Do you have anything else for Fred? I don't really want to talk about Fred anymore. He has remarkable strength in his spine and ankles. He stops running, almost falling off of a cliff, stops himself, and the rest of the gang all, like, pile into him and put all their weight on his spine and all of his weight is on his ankles, leaning forward. But he springs back up. I don't know, I'd personally say that's core strength, of which we know Fred Jones has. <laughs> From that episode where he's cutting vines that are holding his arms and legs, and he just stays perfectly elevated <laughs> after <laughs> Yes, I do remember that, yeah. It's just core strength defying gravity. He loves staying vertical. <laughs> well, it's the manlier option, Billy. <laughs> You're unmasculine if you ever go horizontal, men. <laughs> men, is it gay to lay down? <laughs> I like to sleep like an astronaut would, strapped to the wall. <laughs> the Daphne dilemma? Uh, sure. Her nonsense this episode is out loud narration. I find this a little less intrusive than the puppets. No, this is so much more intrusive than the puppets. Because the puppets... Now, say say that Daphne is a person sitting beside me right now putting a puppet in my face. Yeah. I would simply grab her wrist, take the puppet off, and, I don't know, throw it off the balcony. But she's, Now she doesn't have any puppets. She's not- you don't have that ability, though. But the out loud narration, am I gonna punch her in the throat? I mean, by the end of this episode, yeah, I was going to. But if she was a real person beside me that I didn't want to, you know, physically harm- it's easier to get the puppets out I of I did think it was very funny how at the end of this episode, Daphne is narrating, like, the conclusion to the episode in the van, and Fred, of all people, is just, is just giving her this death glare. Like, I don't think we're gonna get chemistry between Fred and Daphne at all in this series. I feel like their relationship is just, like, two people who put up with one another, to a point. That's, that's everyone versus Daphne in this series. I feel like up to this point we have tolerated Shaggy, now we're gonna tolerate Daphne. Well, and I will agree with that, because the way that I think that they've remodeled Daphne is by making her more like Shaggy. And I feel like everyone is just taking a few shades of Shaggy here. And that is definitely probably why there are points against them all in your eyes. Because your love for Shaggy died long ago. Something I only noticed in this episode. Her pink chucks. Yeah, she gets them dirty and she doesn't freak out. No, well she also Who like- Who the fuck is this person? Because it's not Daphne. We can't say that she's doing all of this in heels anymore. She's wearing practical footwear that is correct for the occasion. Yeah, this is a weak Daphne. Healed Daphne could kick this Daphne's ass to oblivion. We do retain one quality from, from what I will call classic Scooby-Doo, and that is the 
close relationship between Scooby and Daphne. Because after Scooby and Shaggy have a little falling out, Scooby needs to choose who his new human is going to be. And he goes to Daphne first. And then leaves when she yes. doesn't like potato chips. Like, Well, it's, it's because they fell down a waterfall. They were enjoying those chips together first. Like, they had a grand old time with those potato chips. But then they fell down a waterfall into a lake and she didn't protect the chips. And she wasn't upset about it. Nor, I will say, was she upset about her hair. This is, who is this? This isn't Daphne. That's it. I think we just have to let Daphne go Mm-mm. and learn who this person is. Nope. I don't, maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't call it the Daphne Dilemma anymore. The Daphne Doppelganger? Yeah. No, I'm not doing that. Okay, well, I'm I mean, just going to rag on this series. I'm glad I didn't change it then because I would forget to change it back. She gets glow foot at one point. That's when her shoes get dirty. She, they get dirty in the glow stick glow that looks remarkably like Captain Cutler's glow from that magical kelp way back in Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Bioluminescent sea life exists. Yeah, and I find it magical. There's magic in the world around us. I think rubbing bioluminescent kelp over yourself would last a lot longer than a modern glow stick. Yes, absolutely, without question. So this villain's already fallen behind that of the likes of a villain from 69. (laughs) There's one shot in this episode, and this isn't about Daphne, but there's one shot where we see Fred, like, front on from his face, and I do not like it. I don't love the redesign of Fred, but I especially don't love it looking straight on at him. No, I think Fred is the worst off of them. Discounting Scooby-Doo because I don't like, I won't make eye contact with this Scooby-Doo. Well, will you will you talk about him? Will you go to the Shaggy Scooby shenanigans? Sure. I guess, since I have to. He's upset that Shaggy refers to him as something that he owns. Yeah. Which, like, Shaggy is correct here. For the one time in his life, he, he does <laughs> own you, Scooby. Just as, as a matter of fact, of legal property... Like, you might be able to talk, but so can parrots, but they're not their own citizens with, like, social security numbers. And maybe th- maybe this is an issue of social justice that everyone needs to be looking at. But <laughs> Actually, that's not even the issue. It's not the issue of one person owning an asso- I'm so trying to step slavery here, but that's not the issue that Scooby has. Because in Scooby's mind, he owns Shaggy. Shaggy is his human. And if Scooby-Doo was a cat, that would be a totally appropriate, accurate way for him to think. (laughs) But dogs are submissive little bitches. (laughs) So, uh, both of y'all just shut up. That's what I'm gonna say. Shaggy does yell, Scooby-Doo, where are you? In this episode. Great! He's been doing that since 1969. And I love to point it out. It is a classic. It's, It's a thread. That ties Scooby-Doo together. Much like the late thread of of Fred's hero worship, that's a very early thread that's still traveling. I will say that that Scooby's ranking of the gang seems to be as follows. Shaggy at the top, followed by Daphne, Velma, and then Fred. I feel like Velma and Fred are in the wrong spots. Maybe that's just Mystery Incorporated talking to me. But I feel like you wouldn't pick Fred last. I kind of feel like he would. It's Fred always making him be bait. Mm, that's true. Fred has never been the one that carries Scooby snacks. 
He just doesn't have that feminine warmth to him. Too masculine. He's the alpha dog. Yeah. Scooby and Fred, both the alpha dogs, don't get along together. Okay, I will buy that. Shaggy is also the one who sort of calls out Fred at the end of this episode. When he says, are you done being Chuck crazy? Because we need a plan. Rare to see Shaggy as the voice of reason, but here we get it. And I think that brings us to the Velma vision. We open with the gang capturing a villain. And Velma is explaining his plan and how he tripped himself up and she knew couldn't possibly be this. Because he wasn't using metric? Yes. You are in the US of A, Velma. Why is this a surprise? (laughs) You will literally measure things by anything but a meter. Why are you surprised? Well, and here's the thing that trips me up that. It's, she calls him Dr. Cutler. It's not Captain Cutler. It is Dr. Cutler. So he's a fucking doctor now. He should be using metric if it was that like, oh, he's a doctor and he used metric, whereas a true sea captain would be using imperial. That is actually a nice trip up. What she's saying makes no sense. And it's boring even her. (laughs) She and the whole gang are yawning at this explanation. I think you said the opposite thing. She says that he doesn't use metric. I know. I'm saying it would have been better if he did, but he shouldn't have. Whereas what happened here is he should have, but he didn't. So he did the correct thing in terms of a villain. Yes, but narratively, it's all over the place. Gee, I wonder if that's going to be an ongoing theme <laughs> of this series. Um, we don't get blueprints this time. But there is a full zoom in to Velma's eyes while we go on a a mythology rant. And uh, we get to see, I guess, inside of her mind, the way everything is shown through Aztec drawings. I don't like a Velma that knows everything. You've said this many times before. Velma needs to pick a field in STEM. Maybe several in STEM. But history, she should be completely ignorant about. Mm -hmm. Linguistics, should be completely ignorant about. Like, you cannot know everything on Earth. It's impossible. Stop making Velma like this. I can see, sort of, if they're wanting her to do the exposition dump. But I agree. Give some of the more, like, warm human categories to the other members of the gang. Everyone can have a little specialty of their own. Like, that was, you know... Way back in Where Are You, Velma didn't know mechanical stuff. Yeah. That felt specific. So she's not an engineer. She's not a linguist. She, like, even in Mystery Incorporated, oh, I took a class on ancient Mayan at the Learning Center. (laughs) Yeah, at the Annex. Fuck off. My God. Imagine in Zombie Island if she had known all of America's history. She would have immediately known what was happening on Moonscar Island. You gotta have some gaps. She is, I mean, also in this one, she's the only one with common sense. She's the only one who thinks that Fred's plan to go down the dangerous path is a bad idea. She's trying to talk him out of it. Shaggy, Scooby, and Daphne are already headed in there. That's the way that the man they're trying to rescue went. Velma's trying to leave a man to die as far as they know rescuers that are trying to save, like, splunkers and shit aren't like, well, I'm just going to take the easier path and call it <laughs> okay, a day. Okay, yeah, good point. But okay, so maybe that is right then. That would be 
an example of her not knowing, like, behaviors. Minor mentions. Chuck? Yeah, we open on Chuck Magnum. He's a daredevil, according to the premise. I'm gonna say he's just a thrill-seeker, personally. Daredevils are very specific and usually have motorcycles, I feel. Chuck Magnum makes so much sense, which is why I'm embarrassed to say I wrote down Chuck Mango. I just heard it completely wrong and didn't question Chuck Mango being a badass daredevil's name. To save yourself this embarrassment, you you literally could have just called him Chuck, and yet you've pointed out your own ineptitude yet again. Yep. My god. Well, I think it was... <laughs> Frank... I'll blame Frank Welker here. Because I thought at one point they called their team the Mango Force. No, the Magnum. The Magnum Force. Because he, you know, Chuck and Fred used to team up together. And I guess it was like Chuck Magnum and the Ascot Boy. <laughs> because Fred didn't get any billing. Chuck is definitely voiced by the guy that voices every single miscellaneous male character on Family Guy. You can look up his name, but if you're confirming my theories that he's every miscellaneous character on Family Guy, you needn't, because I recognize his fucking voice. I literally just wanted to say his name. John Wiener. So, you've got, you've got this guy that's on Family Guy as every male character that isn't voiced by Seth MacFarlane. You've got the Family Guy art style. Those things combined... Two fucking episodes in is not really convincing me that this is supposed to be an entity that's not trying to be Family Guy. You can see where people are coming from. Seth MacFarlane has ruined the animation landscape for a lot of properties. Yeah, like, the visuals and the voice, they send your mind there. It's, it's giving you a message. It's also another message. With the, with the other minor mentions I want to bring up, because it is now a recurring theme in Be Cool Scooby-Doo, in which nobody does their jobs correctly whatsoever. Starting with the two police officers that are arresting Dr. Cutler, they just wander off, leaving Dr. Cutler on the dock. They were bored by Dr. Cutler, so they didn't bother arresting him. Which Captain Cutler's also a white man, so mm. I mean, you might as well just let him free now. Uh, funny story, actually, today at work. I work at a grocery store. Oh my store. god, yeah, this is perfect. I work at a grocery store. Uh, I'll just reiterate that again for anyone who doesn't know. We have a wine and beer section. A white woman was in today trying to shoplift like a couple $90 bottles of wine. And I was up in the manager's office at the time that the two cops came to like, you know, arrest her for yeah. the crime she committed. And her defense was, well, I didn't know. She didn't know that goods and services needed to be paid for with well, human uh, money. I, I knew you had to pay for food at the grocery store, but I assumed the wine was complimentary. And it seems like the cops um, were totally fine with that, because one of our produce guys was outside having a smoke at the time, and he watched the cops escort her out, and then part ways. They went their separate ways. The white woman was left totally free to come back next week and try this all again, and the police just wandered off because they're worthless fucking pigs. Imagine if every episode of Scooby-Doo ended with the, the mystery machine driving away, and the shot lingers on the cops and the villain, where the cops just take the handcuffs off and let him go. That wouldn't be a satisfying series. Well... Police aren't satisfying entities. What you need 
is a group of mystery-solving teens at that store. Also incredibly bad at their job is the park ranger. He keeps, like, saying that they can't do things. That, no, you can't go in the caves, you can't have a dog without the leash. But as soon as they offer any resistance, he's like, okay, that's fine. Now, letting them go into the caves seemed like something that would actually happen because these are native sacred sites mm -hmm. and he's a white guy and they're white people and you know white people don't respect native areas and cultures and historical monuments so that kind of felt like yeah sure whatever go in the fucking caves i don't care but a ranger not enforcing leash laws i don't think so that's prime ticket handing out there well i think he's a little off of his game today and i think i know why this park ranger, he is drawn as an older man, you know, big white beard, and he is also voiced by Frank Welker, which makes for a very interesting conversation between this park ranger what and you, Fred. What are you trying to say? That Frank Welker as an old man has lost his cognitive faculties? No, no. I think that this park ranger, seeing the son that he gave up for adoption 18 years ago, is thrown. I think this is Fred's true father. And I think we're not going to get anything nearly as deep as the complications <laughs> of family life in this series. I think maybe you're holding out hopes what? for Mystery Incorporated 2. No, I think, I think it is going to be light like this, and so I need to come up with my own bullshit about their lives. So until proven otherwise, Fred's true father in this series is a park ranger. Excellent. Moving on to the last of the Zatari tribe. Rick. Do not. <laughs> I am not. I am not shitting around, Billy. Do not do the pronunciation joke again, because every time Rick was on the screen in this episode, they did it. And once again, this is a joke that has landed better in other series. And I hate it. It, yeah, it, it. It lasted so long, and they kept going back to it. It was a dry well that they just kept hauling up buckets from. I mean, we, we've talked about this before. The, this last Atari, he's real white. He seems to be carrying around a hockey stick rather than a staff. Like, that's, that's how white he is. That's a field hockey stick, 100%. Okay. Uh, and uh, the gang seemed to have very little interest in him. As they should. As they should. <laughs> this man is part of a cult. They've He started the rumor of some sort of fake uh, ancient tribe just so he can live tax-free in a cave with his sex cult followers or some shit. I, th I feel like the park ranger should have taken him out kicking and screaming at the end. <laughs> like, oh good, you found Chuck, and you also found this vagrant that was living in the caves. Uh, but no, the... He is actually part of this tribe. He's here guarding the Zatari treasure, which is in these caves. It's his chicken, Larry. Yeah, that's my last minor mention. Larry, the golden chicken. He seems fine. I don't have any issues with Larry. He doesn't take up a lot of screen time. He's one chicken. When I, I mean, I guess it is called Game of Chicken, not Game of Chickens. So I played myself, hoping for more. For the most part, in Muppet Media, you really only see Camilla. 
That's one chicken. I'm going to talk about the villain now. This big tiki mask chicken man who I, uh, the actual name. Spirit of the Zatari warrior. The Zatari culture has a fundamental misunderstanding of the chicken, uh, assuming them all to be brave, wise warriors. Uh, Clearly, okay, let's talk about that real quick, because Velma says that very disparagingly. Oh, look at these stupid savages. They don't even know what a fucking chicken is. Clearly, you've never known a chicken because they can be super fierce. Where do you think cockfighting comes from? That's actually a really like, good point. Jesus fucking Christ, Velma. Th- and also, like, the rooster crowing at dawn. It, like, if I was going to pick a symbol of wisdom, I'd pick that one. Bringer of the sun! The rooster! And also, like, they actually do have, like, a pretty good, like, philosophy out of it. The man sees only two paths, whereas the chicken sees three. Because for the chicken, leaving is always an option. Come to a fork in the road, you can always come back the way you came. So, fuck you, Velma. Chickens are great. Um, visually, this Zatari warrior is a big tiki mask, glowing yellow. I mean, with don't like call some... it like a tiki mask. It's That's kinda... very specific to, like, South Pacific. Well, it really brings to mind decoy for a dog napper to me in the history of Scooby-Doo villains. Yes, where all native peoples just wear huge masks. Yeah. I would honestly just call it a mask at this point. Okay. Let's not perpetrate their ignorance <laughs> any further. I Yes, that is actually a very good point. Okay, so big mask, big fella. Uh, who Who is it under the mask? It's Chuck. Surprise, surprise. Chuck's criminal plan was to uh, come rob this ancient site of its treasure and He couldn't figure it out, so he needed to lead Fred to the entrance, and the only way he could do that was by making Fred think that he was in danger. This is something we saw, like, what, two, three times in Mystery Incorporated, where Fred has to be used to figure out traps? Yeah. It's a big Mystery Incorporated trope of, of, I'm tricking you into being useful for this mystery. Yeah. So, I guess in terms of feasibility, sure. Because Fred's done it before, and he'll probably do it again. Yeah, that, yes. I think <laughs> emotionally manipulating Fred is a feasible plan. And, like, even as they describe it, all he did was use the same recklessness displayed by Chuck and use glow sticks. This is very, very, very feasible. Big points for feasibility. Terror scale, 0 out of 10. <laughs> I gave him a one for the glow, but that just, Elias Kingston also had a glow about him, so that's just how they're going to draw villains in this. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'll take away that one point and give him zero. I mean, and, and you know what it is? It's not that the villain itself couldn't be intimidating. It's that this villain got fucking comedy moments. Yes, that's no, what it is okay, for me. Okay, let me correct it. Quote, unquote, comedy, because I didn't laugh at any of it, moments. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a comedic villain. It's not trying at all to be scary. Like, there's a part where it crashes into a rock on a slide and gets stuck. This is something that you're trying to convince us is supernatural, could harm the gang in some way. There is supposed to be some sort of fright about mm-hmm. it. Even Minor 49er was lurking in shadows. Like, the blandest of the original villains still had scarier yeah. moments than what this 
stupid chicken mask man If does. I was trapped in an underground labyrinth and I saw two paths forward and one held the minor 49er and one held this chicken man, I feel like I could knock over the chicken man with his stupid mask. <laughs> like, I could just kind of shoulder hook that. Or, hey, I could just go back the way I came. Maybe that's the thing to because do. Because you have the heart of a chicken. Exactly. But what's that the way I came? Chargar Gathacon, the beast who hath no name. Oh no, I'm dead. What? Char- Are you was... trying to make this a D&D bit? No. Because uh... you mentioned D&D earlier? No, that that's Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, why is he in the cave with the minor 49er and a chicken man? I was ju- it was just the first Scooby-Doo villain that came to mind. I was think- trying to think of a real scary one. Okay, so you're boxed in by Chargar Gothicon, yeah. the minor 49er, and the chicken man. Now I'm taking the chicken man for sure. Now that I've checked that third option, ch- chicken man. <laughs> chicken man. <Yeah. laughs> All right, we've decided. <laughs> um, I have a 16 for initiative. Do you, do you have any other general thoughts or feelings on Game of Chicken? I'm going to have to be the bitch that points out that the only women we've seen thus far are literally the women that have to be here because they're in the gang. Mm. Now, this is episode two of 26 in this first season. So there's a chance we can turn this around and... They really better turn this the fuck around because I'm not doing another get a clue situation where Gorilla fucking Grodd deserves to exist more than a solitary woman. We saw more nipples than women in get a clue. Like I always have to be this bitch that points out there's literally no women here. I, I do not want to change you from being that. I appreciate that around. It's, how, it's the only way I become good. You know why? Because my note for this episode was that I loved the slides! That was a fun bit! I liked that chase sequence! They slid around and it was fun and they went up and they went down! It was like a water slide with no water! I bet so they got that would, so bloodied! So that would be the worst! <laughs> I, I didn't say I would enjoy doing it, these I un- said watching it was fun. These unmaintained... M- Solid oh rock my God. slides. So unmaintained that a stalactite has grown on the top of one. And that the, the chicken man had to, like, chop it up with his hockey stick. Whew. What's your verdict for this one, Amelia? Don't like it. Scooby, don't. I liked this one a little more than the last one, as a matter of fact. I was going to give this one a light Scooby-Doo. I feel like the last one at least had a recognizable villain. This chicken man just fucking sucks. I don't like this non-coordinated action man Fred. Daphne continues on her bullshit. This is Scooby Don't. Okay. Sorry, everyone that's listening to this and being like, I like Be Cool. Listen, we're not telling you you can't like it or that you should not like it because we don't like it. I mean, I, I said I liked this one a little better. I was using the royal we. Oh, okay. You want to point out linguistics a little bit more, Billy? Or can oh, we wrap this the fuck up? God, no. I want to finish here. I want to tell all of you that our next episode is All Paws on Deck. And that if you want to reach out to us, we can both be found on Twitter. I am at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia. And we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Dues. 
You can find all our old stuff streaming on our WordPress, Tumblr, and YouTube page, all under Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. We have a Patreon campaign, and I have my own personal YouTube channel under Fade Lamelia for general spookies goings-on. Can I say one more thing before we end here? I'm looking at Fred and Chuck standing next to each other now. And there's no world where I can imagine these two hanging out. Chuck has like a shark tooth necklace and ripped sleeves, and Fred has a sweater and an ascot. It's like a Bart Millhouse situation. They just met when they were real young. Fred's the Millhouse. On that note... That's it from scooby Dooby us To scooby Dooby oo I mean, if you don't think that Fred has a Pog collection somewhere, like Millhouse, you're incorrect. So Fred is definitely the Millhouse. He's actually made his own Pogs out of every villain they've ever faced. And they're real cool. Says the Millhouse of this relationship. <laughs>